Back it up, back it up. Let's dump this truck. Back it up, back it up. Let's dump this truck. 7 a.m. Hello and welcome to Bad Romance. I'm Jordan Searles. I'm Kyle Calgren, again. Yes, again. We are back again for the last episode of the year. Woo! Woo! And the last episode of season two, because yes, this podcast has seasons. Next, Why wouldn't it? Next year, is going to be season three. Season three is going to be really exciting, because as I said in the last episode, we're going to have a Patreon, which means that we're going to have bonus episodes, and there's going to be a side stuff that we're doing, and we're giving you perks, and we're t- reminding you to drink water, but this time on Patreon. <laughs> it's... It's it's gonna be it's gonna be great, but it's gonna be turnt. <laughs> but I am a thousand years old. You're perfectly young. <laughs> anyway, we are talking about for the last movie of the year. Well, you clicked on this, so you know. New Year's Eve, 2011's New Year's Eve from Gary Marshall, who we'll get to in a second. Let's talk about who wrote this film. Her name is Catherine. Fugate? I'm I'm going with that. Fugate. Captain Fugate? Yes. Her first screenwriting credit is for a film called Counterfeit, starring Hilary Swank that I've never heard of. Um, she is the creator and, I don't know, pro- probably primary screenwriter of Lifetime's Army Wives. Army Wives is a show that a lot of people... Pretend didn't exist, but it ran from 2007 to 2013 and had 124 episodes. So whether we recognize it or not, Army Wives is a big deal. And it was one of Lifetime's first really popular scripted series. It is the reason why Lifetime continues to have scripted series to this day, including I heard that there's actually a really good one um, with uh, Penn Begley from Gossip Girl called You about a guy like stalking a woman but it's a but it's like a show like a that shows him in like a bad light like he's just stalking this woman I haven't watched it yet mm-hmm. but I really wanted to it's not on Hulu yet so like and also um Unreal came up which is the um the reality show satire that popped up on Lifetime so Army Wives is the reason why any of these shows exist and which means that this woman is the source of Lifetime moving towards scripted content. She's actually pretty important. And it's, <laughs> and it's mm. kind of strange that, like, uh, if I was doing this episode with Bronwyn, she'd probably have more to say. But we have Kyle here. And I have nothing to say about romantic full, comedies. Full, fully out of his element and has nothing to say about, you know, Women, woman created scripted television because also most of the Lifetime shows are created by women. Lifetime is a TV channel then? Yes, Lifetime is a TV channel okay. for women. All right. Uh, yeah, I've heard of television. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Spirit of Christmas, a previous episode, was a Lifetime made for TV movie. Lifetime is known as the channel where there are made-for-TV movies where women are in peril from psychotic men. Uh-huh. Army Wives is part of the reason why it's known for other things now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I really wish Bronwyn was here. Because <laughs> I'm just... 
I'm just here to fill the butt, put my butt in a seat. Wow, wow. So you didn't really <laughs> want to talk about New Year's Eve. I mean, we're not really going to talk about New Year's Eve. That's the secret of this episode. We're not really going to talk about New Year's Eve. We're going to talk about what these things are and why does Hollywood do this to us. But I wanted That's a to, great question. But I wanted to start like with something nice. And also, Army Wives... Um, he was in most episodes, and he was in every season, Sterling K. Brown, which is why when he showed up on, um, what is it, American Crime Story, and when he showed up in Black Panther, and when he showed up in all that other stuff, everybody mm-hmm. was like, where has he been? He was on Army Wives every season. He was the only Army husband. Like, he was there. He was on Army... Like, it's so weird. It's so weird because I watched Army Wives, so it was strange, everybody being like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? It's like, wow, y'all just hate women. So that's our review of Army Wives. Um, He was great on Army Wives. uh, Okay, okay. I'll take your word for it. Wow. Why are you being so... I haven't seen Army Wives, and I just feel very out of my element, and I feel like a bad person for not watching No, 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 (laughs) no. Just, you know, comment on what you have learned. Um, I did not realize that uh, this woman saved Lifetime. I mean, she did. She she brought it into new territory. Yeah, and that's that's good, I suppose. That's, That's very admirable. And I think it also makes sense that her writing style is mostly for television because both Valentine's Day, which we might do an episode on, but judging by how boring New Year's Eve is, I don't know if we're going to want to sit through it. So, like, for both of those movies, she basically took television elements and put them on the screen. Like, what if we get a bunch of beautiful, talented people (laughs) and... Fill and fill the screen with them and have it constantly be intersected. Because when you think about these like intersecting storylines, what you're thinking about is television. And Army Wives had like a huge, like sprawling storyline because we were following several different wives. We were also following their spouses. We were also Mm -hmm. following Sterling K. Brown, who wasn't just an army husband, he was he was a therapist for a lot of them. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So I mean there was a lot of like interconnected storytelling at play there. And you can see that in this movie. And so this movie was doing a season of TV. This movie was doing an entire hours. season of TV, which is very similar to what the Sex and the City movies do, except that we know all of those characters. So even though those movies suck, we at least know who these people are when the movie starts. Whereas we don't know these people. We have to be introduced to them and we're given their entire arcs and there's so much going on that it's very hard to care. And it's Mm -hmm. also that there are so many people who are just thrown in for a second, like Common, like Alyssa Milano, Russell Peters, Larry Miller. (laughs) Oh, who else? Um, Wasn't Matthew Broderick in this? Matthew Broderick, Carrie Elwes. Matthew Broderick playing a character called Mr. Buellerton. Yeah, I will not let that go. Yeah, um, you know, you kind of know what New Year's Eve, right? It's New Year's yeah. Eve. A bunch of different people are dealing with, you know, their respective issues, and they're all trying to figure out a way to celebrate and a way to be with each other. And, and everybody has their thing. Catherine Heigl 
is is mad at John Bon Jovi because he proposed to her and then he and then right when she was ready to commit, he bolted. Um Robert De Niro is lonely because and dying. and dying because you also figure out that his daughter, Hillary Swank, is the one that's like in charge of like the ball dropping and everything that year, which is why she doesn't have time, which is why she only sees him after the ball drops in the hospital. Um Halle Berry misses her man, who is common, who is uh, doing whatever. Michelle Pfeiffer <laughs> is playing basically the same character that she plays in in Batman Returns, except that she doesn't become Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zac Efron seems to like want to fuck her, but because this is a family film, it doesn't happen. Um, Which is a shame because they really were a very is. cute couple. Oh yeah, they were very cute. Ashton Kutcher and Leah Michelle are stuck in an elevator, and Ashton Kutcher is a dumb hipster, and Leah Michelle is John Bon Jovi's backup singer, and she can't get to the concert. And Abigail Breslin wants to kiss the boy from Wizards of Waverly Place, but her mom, Sarah Jessica Parker, is a helicopter mom, and she has a date. You're writing this down, right? <laughs> And she has a date with Josh DeHamel that she keeps on trying to break because she wants to be a helicopter mom. Sophia Vergara just wants uh, to you have can't a see good this time. Be- you can't see this because this is a podcast. As she's doing this, she's putting their their photos on a bulletin board and like drawing little strings between each of them. It's it's very elaborate and very impressive. And Zac uh, Efron is supposed to be Sarah Jessica Parker's little brother, which doesn't make any sense. Um. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, now she's drawing a string from Zac Efron to Sarah Jessica Parker. Jessica right. Biel and Seth Meyers are trying to have a baby, and then no, they're pregnant, and they find out that at at whoever has the first baby of the new year gets a cash prize. But oh no, Sarah Paulson and Till Schweiger are also there, and they want to have the baby first, and they keep on trying to induce pregnancy, and it's really terrible, and. Carla Gugino is there, and she's just like, everybody's being irresponsible. Who cares about this cash prize? Emily Blunt needs to get a cow as white as milk. (laughs) And none of this matters. Yeah? None of it matters. Uh, And... Does anyone care? What's strange about this is that Okay, you know how Netflix is now the streaming service that is making rom-coms? If this had come out when Netflix was doing that, it would have been on Netflix. There's no actual reason for it to be in the theater. Now, this is a different thing than the fact that um, Reese Witherspoon's Home Again, which was a rom-com that was released, I think, in 2000. 16. Anyway, like within the last couple years, didn't really do well because we don't want to pay for rom-coms anymore as a society. Well, we do, but Hollywood is too busy trying to figure out how many superhero movies they can make. So what happens is, is that a lot of the good rom-coms end up on streaming services, but then when we do get a rom-com, it's like a bad one. It's like Hot Pursuit or this, or um, the one where it's uh, Leslie Mann and Cameron Diaz and Nicki Minaj and either 
Brooklyn Decker or the other hot blonde one. <laughs> and they're all dating the same guy. Well, not Nicki Minaj, but Nicki Minaj is there to, for the quips. And it's always like something weird like this that you know that people make because they think that old people are going to go and see it. And they will. It's like the CBS of cinema. Wow. He, big slam on CBS. <laughs> no, I mean, they deserve to be slammed. I mean, I've all the headlines. And, of course, so. this I don't mean anything against Gary Marshall. It does make sense that when, you know, rest in peace, he was, he was very important, influential, especially in television. And in rom-coms, you know, Pretty Woman was a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. When a person gets to that age, they want to... Either make them. I noticed that with white directors, it goes one or two ways. When they get to, well, three ways. Mm-hmm. When they get to that age, they either stop making movies, make stuff very political, usually racist, or actually four, four. They make they start making <laughs> stuff really sexual, which is confusing, or they make feel good entertainment, which is what Gary Marshall did. And in in a sense, like it's it's better than the other options because you know he's still working. And he's trying to make people happy, which is more than I can say for other people. <laughs> like, like I'm not gonna. Yeah. Oh no, I dare you. No, why don't you? Clint Eastwood. You know, I don't talk shit about Clint Eastwood because I feel like I haven't seen enough of his filmography to do it. But you are free to. In another episode. <laughs> um. We're, I don't want to get too off track with this. Right. And so... So back to Army Wives. No. <laughs> and so, <laughs> where we, so where we land here, um, his last film being Mother's Day, which we will do on the podcast next year for our Mother's Day episode or around Mother's Day. This I, this I promise you. Um, where we land here is kind of like... A studio should have said no to this. Like, the impulse isn't bad. It's the fact that a studio didn't say no to this or that he didn't get to put it on television. Because studios do not know what women want. And these movies Mm -hmm. are made for women. (laughs) But I can't imagine really anything in it that I would want because it's okay to see like a bunch of attractive people, but I want time to look at them. I can't do that. (laughs) If there were like 5 million of them, I could have a movie that's just Halle Berry trying to find love. Actually, why doesn't that movie exist? Apparently, um, according to IMDb, that movie almost existed and it was this movie. Halle Berry was originally cast in the role that went to Catherine Heigl, but then she had to drop out to do something else. And then, uh, she was recast in the new smaller role as Robert De Niro's nurse. Was John Bon Jovi still her love interest? I don't know. That would have been super yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Halle Berry is an actress that, that I feel like deserves rom-coms and really only got re- good one good one, and that's Boomerang. And that's really it. And she deserved more after Boomerang. She really did. Uh, she deserved more than, you know, constantly getting her kids kidnapped or some shit. Like, it's always like, where are her kids? Where did her kids go? I love her, but why is she always looking for her kids? 
I don't know. What are you looking at me for? Anyway, very, I didn't do anything to her kids. What? Very recently, Halle Berry said that her Oscar win did nothing for diversity, and it's really sad that that's true. She was the first yeah. black woman to win Best Actress, and so far she's the only black woman to have ever won Best Actress. Wow, for a movie that no one really watches anymore. Yeah, I can't even say whether or not I liked Monsters Ball or any. The only thing I remember from Monsters Ball is that her husband is played by P. Diddy, and P. Diddy dies in the electric chair. Hmm. See, that's already more than I know about the movie. Yeah, it was really scarring for me as a kid. I was like, no, because it was back when he was Puff. I was like, is Puff okay? Is he dead? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know that you expected an episode on New Year's Eve, but... uh, It's too boring to talk about. Too boring and too convoluted. Um, Uh... I know it's tough to do this kind of thing, like beat by beat, because there are so many beats. Right. But um, maybe we could take it storyline by storyline. Oh, wow. Do you actually want to talk about this movie? Um, no, but I mean, it would be nice to have some structure. Okay. Um, I mean, the plot of this movie that I think about the most is the Abigail Breslin one, because Abigail Breslin wants to go to Times Square for midnight to be with a, a Wizards of Waverly place and kiss him. And, and her mom, Sarah Jessica Parker, doesn't want her to. And Sarah Jessica Parker is right. And I wish this movie allowed that to happen. You know, some of, some of the time it's supposed to be like, kid power! And it's like, but no! Like, this kid is in danger. And it seems like, based on their subways, mm-hmm. which is interesting, this movie has a lot of like realistic location shoots and all the subways look like real subways, which is very yep. rare. Um you can tell by when she gets on the subway and escapes her mom that they like live in like Bushwick. And mm-hmm. so to go all the way from Bushwick to Times Square and then to expect her to be able to get all the way home, that's like a two hour train ride in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no native New Yorker would want to be in Times Square on New Year's Eve. It, yeah, no, that makes no sense. Like, it would make more sense if they were visiting. Uh, yeah, I mean, we both live here. We try to avoid Times Square generally um, throughout most of the year, and especially during holidays. Oh, yeah, no, it's terrible. I was trying to, like, get to the movie because we were going to go see the new Spider-Man movie, which is very good, by the way, and there was just, like, a giant mm-hmm. Elmo that I had to like try to get around really? and the Elmo Only one? kept on moving. No, there were some other ones, but I remember the Elmo specifically. Yeah, I remember the Elmo too and like a Cookie Monster and a Grinch. Yeah, it's just five Iron Men. Uh, can you believe that we yeah. decided to do an episode on New Year's Eve? I just started to get so <laughs> tired just thinking about talking about anything else. The public this. wants it. The public does not want it. Y'all don't want it. This is such a weird way to end the year. <laughs> you know, it's been a Hey, long... you know what we could do? What? We could go to Times Square and watch the ball drop. Oh, my God. <gasps> Hijinks. It's like Bon Jovi. <laughs> bon Jovi. Right. Who wanted to see Bon Jovi in 2011? Um, Who wants to see Bon Jovi now? Like, he had his time. The last time anyone listened to Bon Jovi was that, was that new... Actually, there was a New Year's Eve episode of How I Met Your Mother where Barney gets a limo 
and he has like a playlist and everything and he's got everything planned and all the parties that they're going to go to and then um <laughs> and then he <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. He every single time they get in the car, the beginning of the song plays and it never finishes. And it's it and it's "You Give Love a Bad Name" by by Bon Jovi, and it's just shot like, through the heart. Yeah, so it just starts it just shot through the heart, but then it never really gets to the rest of the song. <laughs> I feel like that's the last time. I remember one time in art class we were making tiles, and I liked and I wanted to pick something really easy. So I picked um, the Have a Nice Day single art for Bon Jovi. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I was like 13 or something. All right. Um, Yeah. What do you think? Bon Jovi. He's the American woman guy, right? I don't know. I don't think he is. Um, He's a rock man. Why is Hillary Swank in this movie? Why is anyone in this movie? But why Hillary Swank specifically? Like, Katherine Heigl makes sense. Sofia Vergara makes sense. Um, Matthew Broderick, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Sarah Jessica Parker, duh. Leah Michelle, duh. Leah Michelle only decided to be in this movie so she could sing that song at the end. We oh, all yeah. we all know that that's true. So she could do her own rendition, her own Glee-like rendition of Auld Lang Syne. Yeah, um... Should all acquaintance be forgot <laughs> and never... It's called melisma. Um, <laughs> anyway. This is usually a Leah Michelle loving podcast, but, but this interloper... <laughs> I, I, like, I like Leah Michelle. I do not usually go for that glee-ish style of singing. Why do you call it a glee-ish style of singing? Isn't it like a... Gleesh? I mean, doesn't she sing like, I don't know, like a musical person? Yes. Don't you like musicals? Depends. <laughs> How did this movie make you feel, Kyle? Um, Two hours older. Yeah, I felt really old. I felt like a year had passed. Yeah, that's kind of what it felt like. And it's weird that, um, have you ever noticed that, like, white people need, like, when they make these movies, even, like, indie movies, like, because this isn't just the only kind of movie this is. Have you ever noticed those indie movies where it's, like, where it's, like, one thing happens and another thing happens and then it's, like, a ripple effect and it's Mm -hmm. just, like, a bunch of white people just, like. Everything's interconnected and we're all just hanging to each other by tiny threads and even like American beauty could be considered that. <laughs> um, okay. I thought you were going to go cloud Atlas, but uh, American beauty. Yes. I guess. I mean, at least cloud Atlas like has a point. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, but, but have you just noticed like, it does do white people need to feel like everything is connected for life to be profound? Like if everything wasn't connected, would white people be able to live? Like, would they be okay? Do you think? Well, as a white person, it is, I think it is, um, not the unhealthiest thing to see yourself as part of a greater network and part of a greater, um, community on this planet, I guess we're just bad at extending that network to not white people. Right. Because like, it's just this idea that like, I I love when they make these interconnected things and they throw some people of color. In this case, it's like, it's like Halle Berry, like five seconds of Russell Peters, Sophia Vergara. Right. And everyone's upper middle class. 
Right. Everyone. Well, well, except, I mean, Halle Berry isn't. She's a nurse. Right. Except for Halle Berry. Um, except for, I guess, the guy who ends up fixing the ball once it shorts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's weird how the, these movies talk about everything being connected, but they only, like, give the most time to the people's lives with the most, like, mundane problems. Mm-hmm. Like, Halle Berry has a real problem. Her man is, like, he needs it's to in come Iraq home. Or something. Like, like, what if he, he could die? Like, that's actual drama. Like, whether or not... Abigail Breslin gets to kiss a boy doesn't really make much sense to me. Like, why should I care? And also, whether or not Catherine Heigl forgives John Bon Jovi, why do I care? Whether or not Jessica Biel has a baby and wins twenty five thousand dollars, right? When they're already they already look pretty comfortable and uh, right. Why and does that. that matter? Uh, oh no! What if the ball doesn't go off without a hitch? Why do we care what Hillary Swank is going through? It's not really that much, honestly. The only Actually, I think Michelle Pfeiffer is like lower middle class. Her, her, we could just do a whole movie of just Michelle Pfeiffer just living her best life and like yeah. trying to. Yeah, that would have been fine. I mean, that was conflict free until like that one scene where they decided to throw conflict in there. Yeah, no that reason. was pretty conflict free too. Oh yeah, John Lithgow was in there for a second there. Right yeah. as her boss. Right, her boss. Every one of those movies famous. Everyone. Yeah, and it's just like, but wasn't there a cameo by Michael Bloomberg? There was as himself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we were going to do these movies, because because even when we do have characters who are really going through something, it's always connected with like some mundane white shit. Like it can never <laughs> just be like just them. Like if we want to learn about like the spirit of. <laughs> New Year's Eve, like that's a thing. Like if we, like if we're gonna do that, like at least we could invest in like some people who have some actual issues. But instead, it's just like minor inconveniences. Two white people are stuck in an elevator. Nobody's gonna let them die. Yeah. I mean, what are the stakes for that? Um, I guess wait until New Year's Eve to end, and I guess and then th- and then when the boy kisses another girl with the Abigail Breslin plotline, like what are the stakes to that? She can kiss another boy. She's Abigail Breslin. She's fucking adorable. Like what? Who? Yeah. What? No one is ugly. Also, <laughs> I want to I want to see an ugly person struggle. Where's the <laughs> ugly people at? I want to see a whole movie of this with just ugly people. <laughs> What about the fat people? What what are they doing? How are how, what kind staying of staying at home and drinking with their friends? Like how like where where are they at? Like are they like what if like a woman's trying to like a wom- a plus size woman is trying to find you know a flattering dress for a New Year's Eve party? It's her first New Year's Eve party. I would watch a whole movie about that because you know what you know it's fucking hard to find a dress. A dress if you're at, if you're like above a size ten. That could be a whole plot for me. Like it could just be a huge like takedown of the fashion industry and everything. Mm. That would at least be compelling. We could at least say that's not usual. And especially if they did the movie where no one's making fat jokes about her. She's just trying to get something done. Like yeah. <laughs> it just 
there's just so much more that we can do with this interconnected stories. Like, why don't we ever use these stories to empathize with other kinds of people? You know, like... That's a very good question. And just no white people involved. Just none. Just don't bring them. Like... Mm, you gotta say you're right. I just... Because I don't think that this kind of storytelling is bad. I think it's better for television. But I think that if you insist on making it into a movie, you could just, you know, <laughs> try to do something with it that makes sense. Like, you know, the thing about Pretty Woman that makes it so compelling as a rom-com, it makes it more than a rom-com, is that this woman is a sex worker. This woman has something to lose. This is a woman who, like, has actual stakes in her life. This is a woman that sometimes has to deal with danger. This mm -hmm. is a woman that almost gets sexually assaulted. Well, I mean, basically. Like, she gets sexually harassed, and it clearly moves into sexual assault. Like, she has to fight off Jason Alexander. Yep. Like, there are things happening in Pretty Woman. Mm -hmm. Unlike, like, Gary Marshall's later work, like Runaway Bride, which is a previous episode. What are the stakes? Is she gonna marry a guy? Is she not gonna marry a guy? Who gives a fuck? Like, is, 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 um... Is Richard Gere gonna get his job at the paperback or is he not? Who care? Who gives a fuck? Like, it, super privileged upper class problems right. across the board. And it's just like if you're going to do that, you know, the best way to do it is to have really, really snappy writing, which this just isn't. The writing works, like it's funny, like it's functional, but this kind of writing where you're trying to build so much and it's so um, kind of like sparse in terms of dialogue. The, you That's for television because if I'm watching seven seasons of Army Wives, I know these people so that all of the lines and the dialogue and stuff like that doesn't have to have peaks and valleys because I know these people and I'm already emotionally invested. You know what I mean? Like there's a difference kinda, between yeah. like, Okay, let's take uh, Whit Stillman's Metropolitan. These are a bunch of privileged, like incredibly privileged, like they're all going to be okay with white people. But the conversations that they have are interesting to hear. Mm -hmm. Well, because so many of the conversations they have are about their own privilege and trying to reconcile the privilege with the real world that isn't really suited for their type. Because they're the, the type of super privilege that falls apart when faced against the tiniest of hardships. Right, exactly. Like, that's interesting. Like, if you watch a Noah Baumbach movie, it's like, okay, it's always just, like, upper-middle-class white people, like, not getting along with their families and stuff. But mm. we get to know their families. We get to know... And when they, when they spar with each other, the jokes are funny. And when there's drama, the drama actually hurts. Whether or not it means anything in the moment. Like, we don't think about that because we're interested in the words. We're interested in the wordplay. We're interested in the way that people talk to each other. Mm -hmm. If we're going, if you're going to bring some of very talented actors, like, there's really no one in the movie that I hate. Like, everyone, everyone in this movie is a better actor than the people in the previous movie, Holiday in Handcuffs. Like, 100%. Oops, yeah. Um... Hands down. If you could give everybody something interesting to do, if someone could give Katherine Heigl something to do aside from just yell at people, mm -hmm. if someone could give Hallie... Yeah, she's just there to cater. 
Yeah. Somebody give Halle Berry something to do than just like be a the only black person in the movie. <laughs> give Robert De Niro something to do other than die in a chair. Yes, please. <laughs> like even like some dirty grandpa antics would have made. <laughs> sure, why not? Like Zach Efron. The problem also with this movie is that everyone is, for the most part, playing on their own personas, for better or for worse. Like Halle Berry's persona is underused constantly. Um, yeah. Zac Efron's persona is I'm handsome. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer's <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer's whole thing is that she's beautiful, but she can actually act. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, so much of the movie is just, hey, it's that person I recognize. And just expecting us to coast on that. Yeah, and and I this isn't even like a comforting kind of thing to watch because we want something that makes us feel something, even if it's silly. Like that's the kind of stuff that's comforting. Like before the before we started recording. We are watching Outrageous Fortune, which is like not a great movie, but you know, Shelley Long and Bette Midler play characters that are entertaining and fun, and I want to know if whether or not they find the guy. Like I know that it won't matter, like <laughs> but you know, there there has to be some kind of life. And so many movies that are lifeless are movies that talk about life, but do not know how to translate to us life. Do not, they do not know how to make us feel life. Mm -hmm. And that isn't just the problem with movies like this. This is the problem with bad rom-coms in general. Very true. So. That's a great note to end the entire year on. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's always good to remember that we here at Bad Romance actually care about movies and want them to go well. And we want them to do well. We want them to be good. We're not just here, just like here to just like laugh at something or make fun of it or whatever. And in the case of New Year's Eve, I didn't want to make any jokes about it. I wanted to talk about why these kind of movies don't work so that we could possibly, you know, glean some kind of understanding from it and maybe not make any more of them. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> so yeah. that the movie industry won't be a money pit. Just a thought. Anyway, um, <laughs> I really hope that you have a great new year. Um, Avoid Times Square if you can. Please avoid Times Square. Unless you are meeting someone who is 100% going to have sex with you and be nice to you. It has to be both of those things. It can't just be one. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, so, you know, please take care of yourself. Please try not to drink too much. Or if you're going to drink a lot, you know, drink water. As Bronwyn always says, please drink water. It's very important, especially because you're with your families a lot of the time. Your families are annoying. You're going to drink a lot. Also, drink water. Double fist, please. Um, and uh, we will see you next year when we will have a shiny new Patreon that we hope that you all pledge to. Even, like, you know, lowest pledge is $2 a month. $2 a month. 
That's like a cup of black coffee. Come on, guys. You can do it. You can do it. Um, I am Jordane Searles. You can find me on all the onlines. I'm very easy to find. Spell my name correctly and you will find me anywhere. Um, this is Kyle Calgren. Yes, he I am. He is great. You can find him on the lines. You can watch his videos, which are wonderful and beautiful and thoughtful. And if you Aww. ever, you know, want to like... I don't know. Tell somebody how great Kyle is. Definitely do that because I love him. Um, please rate the podcast. I love you too, honey. <laughs> please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to us on all the apps. Please give us a five star review and please, you know, love us next year. We're gonna we're gonna be better. That's our resolution. Bye. Bye. Uh, yeah. Back it up. Back it up. Let's dump this truck. Uh, yeah.